wonder if it really bothers you when your neighbor comes and wakes you up early in the morning. Does that bother anybody? Or I wonder what you feel like when you're in a room when one person is doing all the talking. Does, does that bother you? Or do you ever wonder? Have you ever had company come and they overstayed their welcome? You know the old rule that company is like fish? You know, after two or three days it goes bad? That's a proverb, by the way. Have you ever been in a relationship where it sounds like the tap is leaking all the time? All these things are spoken of in the book of Proverbs and hundreds more. You ever wonder how to answer a person or whether you should answer or should not? Our answers are found in the book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs is, are filled with such wisdom like this. And this morning I'm going to make it my goal to introduce you to the book of Proverbs. And next Sunday we'll be diving in in the deep water. Uh, this morning I, I intend to go through kind of a W5 process, kind of where, what, why, you know, kind of process. But at each juncture, um, I want to give you a very practical application, a very uh, important one. So under each heading, you can be listening for that thing which God would have you pay attention to. Again, would you join me as we pray? Gracious Father, as we remain in your presence, we do ask you to cause the book of Proverbs to come alive and to live. Most importantly, we pray that you would show yourself and your son through this book. Show us clearly who we are Lord, also show us who Jesus is. Help us to see clearly into your word. We don't pretend to be able to do this simply as eyes would look, on a, look upon a book. Give to us, Heavenly Father, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So my first heading is the heading, Where? Where? In other words, where is this book in the Bible? I hope you know that the Bible is not just a random series of library books. In fact, has a unity and a design. And this may sound elementary, but I don't intend it to be. I think we always need to be reminded of this. That when you consider, for example, the Old Testament, when you think of the first five books, which is often called the books of Moses, the five books of the law, 
Those books are in there, often referred to as foundational books, books that tell Israel how to live for God. And then the next 12 books, up to the book of Esther, are called history books. So we have the foundational books that teach us God's design for living. Then we have the next 12 books that answer the question, so Israel, how did you do? <laughs> how, how, how are you doing with this? How are you making out with this? And that gives rise to the next section in the Old Testament, which is filled with wisdom literature, poetic literature, and prophetic literature. And those are all designed to correct what Israel isn't doing right in following the foundational books. Are you all with me? And guess where the wisdom literature lands? It lands in that section where life is being corrected. This, this is what I meant you to live like, and you haven't been, so now we're bringing a correction to your life. And within the wisdom books, there are actually three. And this is not for academic knowledge. Something's going to emerge. Very important why you should know this. There are three wisdom books in the Old Testament intended to bring correction to how Israel was living and, uh, by extension, how we're living. And those three wisdom books are Job, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. Proverbs does not stand alone in the Bible. Because of its uniqueness, there's many people that would not say it, but they think it. <clears throat> they, they think that Proverbs stands alone as, as a very unique book that they can extract and read differently and apply differently. And actually, this morning, I'll show you that's, that's a grave danger because God has so designed the Bible that the proverbial literature is also interpreted by and explained by other wisdom literature like Job and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs does not stand alone. Proverbs does not stand alone. That's my first point because of where Proverbs is. Proverbs does not stand alone. It is part of a triad of wisdom literatures that each one must enhance and interpret the other. I'll give you an example. Proverbs 21.21 says, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Proverbs indicates that if we pursue righteousness, our life will be 
wonderful. And then you read Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, a man that was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And from anybody with any kind of sanity, you would not say Job was living the life. He was dream living the dream. So we always have to take wisdom literature and pro Proverbs and and interpret it within the whole scheme of the wisdom literature in the Bible, and in fact, the whole Bible. There's another Proverbs that speaks that those that live righteously will never lack food. But if you know your Bible, you'll know that in Hebrews chapter 11, that the men and women of faith, some of them, were found, persecuted, beaten, destitute, some sawn in half, some losing their children. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You pick a proverb and cause it to stand alone, you are entering very dangerous job. You need to know your Bibles. Perhaps why so many preachers struggle, and, and I dove into this topic a lot, trying to listen to other godly advice. Many preachers struggle with this because simply pulling a proverb and reading it without allowing the whole canon of Scripture to cause light to shine on it could end in difficult problems for you. So my first question is where? Well, it's within the wisdom literature, and it should not be ever treated alone. Never treated alone. I have a friend who's a non-Christian businessman, a very successful businessman, who gets a proverb every day. But without the aid of the Holy Spirit and the entirety of God's Word, that's a dangerous thing. That is a dangerous thing. My next heading is what? What? You know where Proverbs are. And the application is read Proverbs in light of the entire Scripture. What? What's a proverb? I don't know that we've ever lived in a day where there's more mainly through social media, Facebook, more uh, sayings, proverbs, we call them memes, that are shot out across the Internet. Go on Instagram or other things like that. Everybody, We're all posting little memes. What is a proverb? Just this week on my feed from an organization, a good organization, this is the proverb that they posted. A good laugh and a good night's sleep are the two best cures for anything. Now that sounds great. But nobody in their right mind believes that. 
a good sleep and a good laugh cures anything? Some of us are here this morning who laugh a fair amount and get enough sleep, and you still have ailments. I don't recount that meme to attack it. I think it's fine. But the reason we have a proverb, the what of a proverb, is to cause us to think. It makes you think. And I, I think this might be one of the most important things I say this morning, believe it or not. Not the most, but one of the most important. Proverbs are designed by God to cause us to think. Think about it. Even the Bible acclaims the value of a good laugh. The one section of Reader's Digest I went to first every time I got one. Laughter is good like medicine. That's a proverb. And there are some of us who know the value or maybe the depravity of not getting enough sleep. We know the importance of sleep. And God gives his people sleep, it says in the Scriptures. So who's going to say sleep isn't important or laughing, laughing isn't important? We know the value of that. And we know there's a sense of hyperbole when someone says, that's the cure for anything. We, we know that. That's, that's, that's part of proverbial construction. But the point of that proverb, most likely, is just stop and think. When was the last time you had a good heart belly roll on the floor laugh? You know, remember how good that felt? When was the last time you woke up early and said, man, that was a good sleep. I could take on the world. Think about it. Think about your sleeping habits and think about your your the, the 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 happiness and the laughter you bring in your life it makes you think paul kotak k o t a k a name you're going to hear a lot from me over the next few minutes because he has written one of the the top technical commentaries on hebrew literature and he's one of the many resources that i try to learn from myself. He says, in some readers of the book of Proverbs must keep in mind that its Proverbs are never simple ancient deposits of wisdom. In other words, they're not a box full of sayings where you just pick in and take one out. They are sayings designed to provoke a response in those who hear them and relate them to life. So a guy like me who's caught up with words, I'm a wordsmith, is going to take that proverb off of Facebook and say, you guys are stupid. It doesn't cure everything. But that's not the point of them writing it. The point of them writing it is to make us stop and think about the humor in our life and the sleep and, and our sleep habits and things, that they're healthy for us. And that's Meant, that's the attitude, that's the spirit behind many Proverbs in the Bible. 
Think of this proverb from Proverbs eleven seventeen. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Now, right away, some of you legalists are saying, I hear your voices. I hear voices in my head. I never told you that before. I hear your voice. You say, oh, yeah, just doing kind things from yourself, that's, that can't be right. No, 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 don't get caught up in that. The point of the proverb is stop and think that you live a life of cruelty to others, you will suffer. When you live a life of kindness to others, this isn't judging your motives, it's saying, listen, a general demeanor of kindness and, and, and nicety to other people, you're going to reap the benefit of that. So think about that when you go to the customer service department. Is this making sense to anyone? Don't get hung up with the, the technicalities. Just think about that. The, the, the proverb is designed to make you stop and think. The difference, though, between proverbs and life coaches and bloggers and social media is the book of Proverbs that we're studying is God-breathed. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It is authoritative. It is true. And it is always true. So here's my working definition of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a God-inspired collection of sayings, and that's the scriptural term, sayings, that normally prove true. You'll see how I the ante in each one of these clauses. They normally prove true. If you normally live a life of righteousness, you will have a happy, fulfilled life, except if you're Job. And God decides that today you're going to be Job. You see that? You see that? God has the right to decide today that you be Job and me. The book of Proverbs is a God-inspired collection of sayings that normally prove true, that always provoke us to careful thought and insight. And see how I'm upping the ante here, that demand in all cases the qualifier, if God wills. In other words, we could say the righteous will never be hungry. God wills. If God wills. So we got the where, we got the what. What about the who? Here's the who. The book itself tells us that it was written by three authors, Solomon, Agar, and Lemuel. There's an other group that, in the middle of, uh, of Proverbs that are called the sayings of the wise, and so there's, there's a whole group of unnamed people 
But generally, there's three human authors, Solomon, Agur, and Lemuel. I'll speak more about that in a minute. Solomon is the prominent author. Most commentators believe that Solomon was the one that put the Proverbs together in the collection. We read, and thank you, Harry, for reading so well and applying it to us so well in your prayer. We read how God answered Solomon's prayer. If we were to go to chapter 4 of 1 Kings, and you needn't go there, but here we have the result of God's answer to Solomon's prayer for wisdom. And God gave Solomon, I'm reading 1 Kings 4.29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. You got to love Hebrew poetic language. Just read the, the Song of Solomon sometime. Yeah. A mind that is so wide that it extends to the sands of the seashore. That's not a derogatory saying, saying his mind was made of dirt. Shows the expansiveness of his thinking. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom all the people in the East. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. People of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. He was the human author that receives so much acclaim. But don't ever forget where he got it from. Don't ever forget. It is the Lord that gives wisdom. You see, the key text that you will see every Sunday as you enter this auditorium is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge doesn't come from reading a book. Knowledge just doesn't even come from reading Proverbs like a literary book. It doesn't. Knowledge comes from the fear of the Lord. Without getting into all the intricacies of the fear of the Lord, the Old Testament authors understood the fear of the Lord as, as very simply... There is one God in the universe. He is sovereign. He is righteous. And he knows what's right. And he knows what's wrong. And we don't. That's the clearest definition I've ever enunciated of the fear of the Lord. He's God. I'm not. That's how you approach Proverbs. He knows what's right and wrong. You see, when we have the fear of the Lord, we remove ourselves from the equation. And we do not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, trust him. 
In other words, there has to be a precondition of the heart to read and understand and apply the Proverbs. That's why it's just not a nice book to read off the library shelf. It's inspired literature. And the fear of the Lord not only includes the fact that he's God, I'm not, he knows what's right and wrong, I don't, it also includes the attitude that I will obey him. If you do not have a precondition in your heart to obey God, you will never understand his word. You'll never understand it. It'll never feel like it applies to you. So that means that the application of this reality of who wrote the book, in other words, God inspired Solomon, the application for you and I is that every time we open the book, we need to do a heart check. We need to do a heart check. Proverbs says, keep your heart with all vigilance, from, from it flows the springs of life. If I attend to the book of Proverbs without this precondition of a true view of God and what he demands of me, the book will prove to be a failure for me unless I have the attitude that he calls the fear of the Lord. That's the who. Now I'm going to take you to the how how to read Proverbs. Another person you'll hear me speak lots about, I've actually read him for years. Uh, he is perhaps the world's foreknown expert on Hebrew literature. He is a Canadian, yes. His name is Dr. Bruce Waltke, taught at Briarcrest and uh, out at Vancouver. I forgot the name of that place. Uh, for years, he's known all over the U.S. He's into his 90s and still preaching and teaching. Dr. Bruce Waltke says, the book of Proverbs remains the model of curriculum for humanity to learn how to live under God and before humankind. It also beckons the church to diligently study and apply it. Now, Proverbs is not just a random collection of sayings. Like the entire Scriptures, Proverbs has a structure and a plan. And, it's, and there are very few scholars that will uh, deny that. Some people will change the odd thing, like I have done. So I'm going to present to you how Proverbs has been put together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and given us a book that has structure and a plan to it. The structure of Proverbs. I want you to notice, first of all, like bookends, Proverbs has a prologue, a first word, and an epilogue. A last word. The first part of Proverbs, there isn't an application for this, so this isn't just random thoughts so you can sound smart when you eat lunch today. Proverbs has a prologue and an epilogue. The prologue teaches us 
how, to, how important wisdom is and how much we should do to seek out wisdom. The epilogue is written by Agur, who talks about the sinfulness and the dullness of his heart, and he needs God to help him understand. And so you have, in this wonderful book of Proverbs, you have a, 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 a bookend here and a bookend over here. This one's telling you the value and the importance of Proverbs, and the one at the end telling you, hey, you can't do this unless your heart is right with God, and that somehow he comes into your life and takes away the dullness of our hearts. So that's the bookends to Proverbs. Then interestingly, when you move in from the bookends, there are two sections, interestingly, both written by women. Some of you feminists ought to go, yes. Both written by women. The first one at this end is called Lady Wisdom. She's not a real person. She's a personification of wisdom. True wisdom from God is always personified as a lady. And she writes four poems for our instruction at the beginning of Proverbs. And then at the end of Proverbs, we have another lady's voice. This is a real lady. This is Lemuel's mom. This is Lemuel's mom saying, Son, this is the kind of woman you ought to marry. And you'll all remember the latter part of her talk with her son, Proverbs 31, which says, you know, the choice of an excellent wife is of great value. And, and she explains what an excellent wife is like. Some of you women are failing terribly. You haven't bought a field in years. But, but do, you see the, do you see the structure? Why Proverbs isn't so important? Why what you need to read Proverbs? Two voices from two different women. And then smack in the middle, you have this these ten speeches by a father to a son. Each one of them starts with, my son. My son. All ten speeches start that way. And this is a daddy sitting down with his son saying, I want you to learn the wisdom of God from me. And then there's a body of teaching, hundreds of Proverbs, that on first reading, they seem like quite a mix and a match, and they are difficult to read. And I have found people who have made them more helpful to us. Some study Bibles have made it more helpful. In other words, they've taken all the Proverbs related to money and put them together just to help us out. And I'm encouraging you to follow that kind of thing. For instance, in one list that I think is good, there's a title called self-control. 
And the author has taken from this hundreds of ancient proverbs and, and, and brought all the ones about self-control under one heading to help us focus. And I, I pick as an example self-control because it only has two verses. Some of them have extensive amount of teaching. Proverbs 25 says, like a city whose walls are broken down, broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. Just think about it. A person who's living life undisciplined, without control, is a person who has no protection. Anything can come at them. The enemy can come in at any juncture of their life. And Proverbs says, the problem is you you don't have any self-control. You don't have any self-control. Do you see, beloved, how that makes you think? When you hear people talk about living life of discipline, structure, and self-control, and so on, and, and of course they will couch it in the fruit of the Spirit and so on, but do you see the practicality? The reason God's Word calls us to live this way is to protect us from the dangers that surround us. And anyone who lives life randomly without self-control, self-discipline, is open to any attack, like a, enemies, like a wall broken down where the enemy can enter at any juncture. He also says in Proverbs 29, 11, fools give vent to their rage, but the wise, and he's speaking of self-control, the wise bring calm in the end. You've been in a conversation where someone has lacked self-control in their speech, haven't you? They just say what they want, uncontrolled. They don't stop and think about how it's going to land on another person. But the person who has self-control, who's thoughtful about his or her words, can bring calmness, quietness. How do I apply this? And by the way, I've got copies of this on your way out of the foyer. If I was doing a, a, a personal devotional study in Proverbs, I would read it this way. I would spend a day or a week on the prologue and say, I'm going to meditate and think about the value of Proverbs and how important it is for me to do anything to gain wisdom. And then I'd flip over to the other book and I'd say, yeah, you're right, Lemuel. A dull heart is not going to get this. And I'd spend some time reading Proverbs 30 and, and, and letting the Holy Spirit do a reflection on my heart, do a heart check with me. So that this doesn't come, so that I don't read Proverbs as a thought for the day. Proverbs becomes a thoughtful, insightful, life-changing, heart-changing event in my life 
because of God the Holy Spirit working. Then I might move over to Lady Wisdom and, and, and read her poems. And oh, what value I'll gain from her poems. And I'll find out just how precious wisdom is and how valuable it is and how it ought to be the one thing I search for in all my life. And then I'd read over and go, go at the other end and I'd read Lemuel's mom. And this ought to be interesting. Mom, what kind of a wife should my son have? If I was a son, I'd read this and say, what kind of a wife should I be looking for? If I was a young lady, I'd say, what kind of woman am I to grow up to be like? Do you understand? And then I'd jump into the ten speeches by the Father, which we're going to do this fall. And then I would get a very handy guide. And I would look at all that God has to say in Proverbs about sexuality, about industry and work, self-control, money, and the countless other topics that God has chosen to make known to us. So that's the how. Last heading for today. Why? You might think, Jim, that's kind of a silly question to ask. Why read Proverbs? Someone taught me years ago, I've never forgotten it. They said this to me. They said, Jim, if you teach the Old Testament in a way that would bring great delight to a rabbi, you do well. If you teach the Old Testament in a way that will bring great delight to a rabbi, you do well. But if you apply the Old Testament in a way that brings great delight to a rabbi, you will fail. The reason is the Old Testament, including the wisdom literature of Proverbs, is intended for us to lead us to Jesus Christ. If you fall short of that, you will fail. If this is just a thought for the day that you take into the office to make your life in the office better, and this does not lead you to Jesus Christ, we have missed the purpose. That's why I titled this The Path to Wisdom. Many people entitle Proverbs as wisdom. No, this is the path to wisdom. You see, we live in a world, according to Paul, the world outside of Christ, the non-Christian world, the non-believing world, we live in a world where people are futile in their thinking. Do, do you understand that? The non-Christian, and if you're one here today, I'm, I'm saying this to you, not to hurt you, but to help you, your thinking is darkened. 
You think you are wise, but you are, according to the Bible, a fool. That's the world we live in. But God sent his son. And last couple years, we focused on this gospel, and you know it. But God sent his son. Listen to this. In the beginning was the word. Do you remember where that comes from? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did John use the Greek idea of word? Because that communicated the reason of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God became a person to the world. Amen? The use of the word word in John in our English Bibles is communicating that the very thoughts of God became a person on this planet. Paul said that in Colossians 2, 2 to 3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christian, let us understand this morning that wisdom is not a thing, it's a person. And every one of these proverbs is a pathway to that person, Jesus Christ. If a person is not a Christian, they have to start at the place of realizing that God is God and they are not. God determines what is right and wrong. And according to Paul in Acts 17, God calls all people everywhere to repent of trying to be in God in their lives. To repent of the idea that I have all the answers. To repent of the idea that, oh, if you need an answer, just look within yourself. No, beloved, we don't look within ourselves. We look to holy scriptures that point us to the one who is wisdom. And therefore, reading wisdom literature must point us to the one who is the personification of all wisdom. Jesus came and rightly so lived a life, a perfect life, fully wise. Fully wise. His oppressors were astounded at his wisdom. They were astounded by the fact they couldn't out-argue him. But not that, not only that, but most importantly, Jesus Christ came to die a death, now watch this, who Paul calls was the foolishness of God. The cross is the wisdom of God and is, in fact, the world that is foolish. We preach Jesus Christ crucified, who is the wisdom of God. And for every single person who bows before Christ and accepts him by faith and and, and experiences that regenerating power 
of the Holy Spirit where the fear of God is, is a necessary part of salvation, every single person, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, of us who are in Christ, Jesus Christ has become the wisdom of God for us. The many blessings that flow from being united with Jesus Christ include the blessing that we have as intrinsically entwined in our life the very wisdom of God in the person of the triune God. And Solomon's Proverbs remind us how desperately we need that wisdom. Not the saying on a paper, but a person. You say, I can be self-controlled, Jim. I can live my life as a fortified city. You cannot for 3.5 seconds live that way on your own. In order to live a self-disciplined, self-controlled life, you must A, be born of the Spirit of God, B, be walking in holiness and humility before God, cooperating with the work of the Spirit who brings about the fruit of the Spirit, which one of them is self-control. When you and I read that a, a person without control is like a city whose walls are broken down, we ought to read that and say, Lord, that's me. That's me. And apart from your supernatural work in my life, I can't be that person. If you're here this morning or listening online, and you're not a Christian, I would plead for you today to, st to stop leaning on your own understanding. But right here this day, fall on your knees and acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Let's pray. Father, as we prayed at the beginning, cause this book to live. Cause Jesus to be seen in it. And cause us to be seen in it. And may it bring us to this place where we recognize our desperate need of a Savior and a desperate need to live by faith in him who loved us and gave his life for us. I pray, Father, that you would bring profit and value to Elk Point Baptist Church through the preaching of the book of Proverbs, that we would be forever changed, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ,
and that all this would be done so that you end up getting the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beloved, would you stand with me and hear God's own benediction? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God bless you and go in peace.